Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Wednesday's Football Social Daily. New shows three times a week until the start of the new Premier League season, which is now just four weeks away. Then we're back to our daily routine. For now, though, it's all about that transfer talk. And most of the talk this week has been about one man. And that man is Cristiano Ronaldo. Rumours of a potential Old Trafford departure for CR7 have also seen him linked with a switch to Chelsea. Is that a possibility as a new era dawns at Stamford Bridge? Whatever happens with Ronaldo, United do have their first signing of the summer with Feyenoord's Tyrell Malassia confirmed. Christian Eriksen could follow suit very soon as well. Tenag, the man for United in the managerial hot seat, but once upon a time it was Maurizio Pochettino who was tipped to take it on. Now the former Spurs boss has left PSG, could we see him return to the Premier League soon? Those are the questions we'll be asking on today's episode of Football Social Daily. I'm Niall and today I've got Joel and Ian with me. Good morning, gents. Morning, guys. Well, morning. Good morning. Midweek, another miserable afternoon here in Manchester. I imagine it's quite cloudy up in the northeast, Ian, as well. Cloudy? Of course it is. It's raining. <laughs> oh no, even worse. Even yeah. worse. Although heat wave ahead, so you know we've got to fill our reservoirs while we can. That's it. I think we dig in, get through this cloud, <laughs> and make it to the sunlit uplands of next week. Um, That's right. <laughs> yeah, we'll be glad of this. Uh, this weather this time next week. Exactly. Yeah. Not not the term that we'd usually be using. I'm just going to check. You two aren't quickly going to resign before I start recording the podcast. Mm. <laughs> I'm not planning on it. <laughs> okay. Good. We've seen some. Can't rule it out. We've seen some serious changes in in UK government over the last 24 hours but the podcast is here to stay so fear not if you are listening in we're going to start with Manchester United though but there have also been some changes players leaving and now a player coming in finally Joel you're a Manchester United fan the club have confirmed the signing of Feyenoord left back Tyrell Malassia a new defender a new fullback we know they're important in Ten Hag's system is this welcome news for you as a United supporter? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be completely honest. I'd never heard of this guy prior to probably May before the Roma game. So I'm not the most insightful when it comes to him. I've seen a few clips and obviously I think everyone saw him in the in the Conference League final against Roma. He actually put in a really good performance. But um, yeah, I'm very, I'm cautiously optimistic. And the only reason I say that is just because it's been around two months now where there's been constant talk of, you know, obviously the likes of Frankie de Jong and Lissandro Martinez, who's been linked in the last couple of weeks. But it just feels to me as though the two signings, which were probably the easiest ones, Malassia had an agreement in place with Lyon. And obviously, if United come in against Lyon, there's pretty much no competition there. So this was a pretty easy transfer to wrap up. Obviously, it's good to see that we're addressing issues in in areas of the pitch which really do need addressing you know Luke Shaw's probably had one good season in eight years at United um, and Alex Tellez has been massively underwhelming since he's come in so I think this was one which especially for how important fullbacks are in Premier League teams uh, and in worldwide teams to be honest I think it was one of the the most important areas and but you know he's 22 years old he's going to take a while to adapt but it's a welcome signing but I just think um, the reason why I'm cautiously optimistic is just because the transfers that are the easiest ones are the ones that are getting done the ones which are pretty challenging or they have other clubs right towing um, competing with the player toe to toe they're the ones that are taking a long time and they're the ones that I'm not so optimistic about 
So John Murtagh, the new sporting director, I think he still has it all to prove in this transfer window. And they're going on their pre-season tour on Friday. And with only one signing in, I mean, it's not great. But then you still look at the other clubs, Chelsea, I know they're going through a massive transition at the moment. But the clubs that we're trying to chase, which are Liverpool and Manchester City, right now it's still not good enough. So that's why I'm still reserved in my judgment. But finally, we've got someone through the door. That That's what matters. Yeah, I mean, we knew that there were going to be some serious personnel changes at Manchester United. Some players have left. And with a new left-back coming in, as Joel picks up on Ian, there could be some potential knock-on effect for Luke Shaw and Alex Tellez. Luke Shaw's had one good season in eight, says Joel, and Tellez has been underwhelming. Do you think one of those players is now likely to move on in, in one way, shape or form, whether that be a loan or a permanent deal? Well, I think we've seen, um, based on, on what happened this last year, that there's only room for so many players to be involved in the squad, really, in, in, in reality. And um, I think it would be sensible because we've seen that sort of over-competition for places and the over-competition for egos within the side, which I think really is, has hampered Manchester United. And I think we're going to come on to the, the main crux of that being, uh, you know, Ronaldo involved. And it's, it's, it's not so much about how many bodies you've got for a particular position, but how you manage those expectations of those players. They all want to be playing. So there's no point having people around who you know are going to be dead wood. You might as well send them out on loan, at least for, you know, half the season. You can always review it whenever you want really if it depends what the terms of the loan are you know you can recall them whenever you like but you know send someone out until the january transfer window or until christmas or whatever if they're not going to be getting game time it benefits the player and it'll benefit another club that that wants them you know it's probably arguably better than what they might have elsewhere in the league either in the premier league or wherever that might be scotland or wherever um so i think it makes sense you know you, you can't have too many players knocking around and i know Fans will say, well, well, what if we have an injury? Or what if this happens? What if that happens? And that's all what ifs, though, isn't it? You've got to go on a decent depth. Manchester United have got a very big squad. They can't all play. And I think Ten Hag, sort of the Dutch way, really, isn't it? They they, they all operate. They don't operate mega squads often, you know, where there's 60, 70 players all kicking around and only, you know, 11 or 13 or 14 of them are actually going to get on the pitch on a Saturday. So... Yeah, who though? Who who is exactly going to go out on loan and make way? I don't know, but I think you know, as you say, those those players in similar positions, Shaw and Tellers, um, you would put a question mark over it. But I don't think there's anything wrong with going out on loan if that's how it is. You know, it might give that player a, a new lease of life. Yeah, we've seen players go out on loan before and and come back better players in the past, and I think it's almost a pride thing sometimes for players, isn't it? That they they don't want to be sent out on loan. It almost feels like they've been kind of demoted. Uh, to an extent but I actually really like your point about Eric Ten Hag and has he dealt with a huge squad before because it's not something I've ever really thought about I'm just looking here at the Ajax squad I'm trying to count very quickly whilst talking how many players there are so what's that probably yeah there's it's, it's probably around 20 players in the Ajax squad at the moment I know some may have left this summer and some have been sold and whatnot but um, Manchester United have a squad of of, of 30 plus um sort of senior players first teamers I mean if you count some of the youth team players in that the ones that have been training around the the first team uh, and the under 23s who'll obviously step up to train with the seniors as well that's a lot of players isn't it Ian to try and get to grips with in a short space of time well it is and he will know who the players are that he obviously can only have 11 in a starting lineup so he must know who his favorite 11 is and if you have another 11 beyond that that takes you to 22 so 
you know, a 22-man or a 25-man squad should be more than enough because, you know, at the end of the day, it's football. We're not, uh, you know, they're not going out. It's not like rugby or whatever where, yes, injuries are going to happen, but there shouldn't be a huge body count after every single match. Um, yeah, you can have um, shortages in, in particular areas, but Manchester United are not in that position. You know, they're not in a position where they've got only strikers and they haven't got any midfielders in reserve. They've got plenty of everything. So it makes sense to whittle it down just to know exactly who you're dealing with. And, and everybody knows where they stand. They know they're in the squad. They know that they are actually got a chance of being in the first team squad if they're not a starter now. And I think it makes for a better atmosphere and you haven't got passengers. And I think that's what's affected Manchester United this year. There's been too many passengers, too many people who have been knocking around, who aren't getting any game time, probably affecting the atmosphere. You know, people who get a bit disgruntled, sows the seed of doubt among players in... I just think, you know, for a from a point of view of the morale of the general squad, the you know the focus, you know, you need the players who are going to be playing, and whether they're junior players, whether they're senior players who are maybe a bit past it, then he needs to decide what to do with them, and that's obviously his job. He is the manager, and he's got to got to deal with that. And um, yeah, that's why he gets paid the money. And I think as well, when you think about the two best squads in the league, Liverpool and Manchester City, we always talk about how much depth they've got, but it's not depth in terms of it goes back three or four players deep. It's probably one or two players deep in every position, except they're all really good players. And that rotation, I think, that Pep Guardiola does in particular is probably what makes Manchester City so good. Because all of the players are kind of competing, they're bouncing off each other. They know that they might have two games in the side, then they'll be out for a game and someone else comes in. And I think actually having a smaller squad is something Arsenal have started to do as well. They've got a much smaller squad. I think that that is is kind of a blueprint that Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp have had. They don't have these huge extensive squads like a Chelsea or a Manchester United. They have a much smaller squad, but they have much more depth in terms of the density of the quality of players. So I wonder whether that will be something that we see happen at Manchester United. Uh, who knows? I think it's a lot harder to sell players now than it used to be, particularly when you're selling them from a club like Manchester United who have you know, got this reputation of paying good wages to players and giving decent length of contracts out. Um, as for this new fella, Tyrell Malassia, Joel, you mentioned that you didn't really know about him before that Europa Conference League final against Roma, which Feyenoord ended up losing to Mourinho's team. Is it hard to know how good he'll be? Coming from the Eredivisie to the Premier League is not easy. We saw Donny van der Beek do it. He still hasn't really adapted. But for 14.7 million in today's market, it almost feels... Uh, not a snip because we don't know how good he'll be, but it, it almost feels like a decent enough fee to be able to to you know throw caution to the wind, I suppose. Yeah, I think the biggest the biggest point which you just mentioned is the fact that Eredivisie players, not even just the Premier League, but to other leagues, very rarely replicate. For example, if they create a huge reputation in Holland, I mean, you can name so many like De Ligt, De Jong hasn't been incredible in Barcelona. Um, there's just Donny van der Beek, of course, had a massive move to United, which hasn't gone incredibly well for him. I think the best part with this is Malassia hasn't come with a huge reputation. He's still a player who is it's pretty much been under the radar. It's not like he's on the level of Delict De and De Jong in terms of being on the world stage and every single person knows about him and every single big club are after his signature. He's still a player who. It's got a massive amount of room to grow and he probably has enough room to lower the expectation a little bit as well. So I think everyone will be patient with him. Um, but I, I do like the look of him. He just reminds me, even he, he even said himself actually in the interview with the United channel that 
He likes Patrice Evra and he does remind me of him a little bit just in the way his build-up play is. He's very, very technical on the ball, which I think we've missed from a left-back in quite a long time. Um, and he also had the third highest shots in the Dutch league, which I do like as well because we've been lacking with goals, albeit he only scored one goal in 50. Um, but even still, at least he actually tries to make an attempt on goal. But I think... Everybody knows it's going to take time. It's going to take time for uh, for Ten Hag to adapt, let alone another left back. So I think it's a good step in the right direction. He does look to be a you know a very quick technical left back who likes to overlap. Um, maybe he can improve defensively, which we've lacked massively from our fullbacks. But I think it's a it's a shrewd signing, and at thirteen million, I mean, it's not as if they've done a, a transfer similar to how City usually operate with fullbacks, where they spend fifty million. And then kind of hope for the best with them. Usually works out. Obviously, in other cases, it's not worked out. But yeah, you can't really go wrong with this. And obviously, the Andreas Pereira transfer has pretty much offsetted it. So um, it's not really a gamble at all, is it? Yeah, and talking of another transfer that could well go through between now and the end of next week, actually, or at least in maybe even the end of this week, because United go on their pre-season tour, their first games against Liverpool at the weekend, actually, in Bangkok in pre-season. Um, Christian Eriksen played last season on a six-month deal at Brentford, of course, left Inter Milan. He had that horrible ordeal uh, around about a year ago now, actually, where he collapsed for playing for Denmark during the Euros, and he's had a pacemaker fitted so he's actually not allowed to play in the Italian league so he came back to the Premier League done his six months at Brentford Brentford have offered him a deal Ian to stay but Manchester United have allegedly also agreed verbally to to sign Christian Eriksen presuming he does sign which is looking the most likely outcome here do you think he'll be a squad player we mentioned literally a few minutes ago about how Eric Ten Hag will need to probably focus in on on the players he really does want to utilize for this season if he comes in, will he be a starter for Manchester United or do you think he'll be someone who's used maybe more on a bit part basis? I think, yeah, more probably more on a bit part basis or a super sub or something like that because that's really how he was playing for Brentford for the most part of his time there. He was coming off the bench, you know, after 70 minutes and a very energetic, very skillful player who can really change a game as soon as he came on the pitch. The, the amount of games that Brentford you know, suddenly their fortunes improved at the back end of last season after Ericsson came on the pitch. Of course, fans and players alike have got a huge amount of respect for him because of everything he's gone through um, you know, over the last year, as you say. And he seemed to always get a, a standing ovation whenever he came on the pitch from from all sets of fans. So um you know, but that that aside, he, he I remember him playing against Leeds. You know, in that that final game of the season, that the one that Leeds had to win, and they chucked him on after 60, 70 minutes, and it was like, oh my goodness, it's going to get tricky now. And and so it did. Actually, it, it, in Leeds's case, of course, Brentford had two players sent off, so it made it a lot easier. But um, you know, he he was very very skillful, providing lots of chances, crosses into the box, all this kind of stuff. And um, yeah, he's the kind of player that you can stick on in the final half hour or so and really could cause a few problems you know that, that bit of chaos you need at the back end of a game sometime with balls being pinged into the box corners all this kind of stuff and he's the guy for that so yeah a nice little trump card to have up your sleeve on the subject of Feyenoord um, Leeds are also um, on the verge of, of signing one of their best players um, Luis Sinistera uh, is on his way over. Leeds have signed two players this week. It's crazy times in July as well. <laughs> Unbelievable what's going on. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting. Feyenoord seem to be very much a selling club at the moment because, of course, with um, your other guy heading to, to um, you know, Man United, 
um, they're, they're certainly cashing their chips in. So I know that that team has you know, historically been a team that sort of brings players through into the Dutch league and sells on. And as you were saying about the yeah. reputations, they don't always fulfil them, but... Yeah, I think all Dutch teams are selling clubs, aren't they? Really? They are really, yeah, they are. But yeah. um, so, but just interesting. Feyenoord seem to be churning quite a few of their products out at the moment. Yeah, certainly, uh, it'd be interesting to see Luis uh, Sinistera. I think he's a Colombian winger, isn't he? Twenty three, and yeah. if Rafinha is to leave, then that seems like a pretty well, obvious this uh, is replacement. Talk there, whether Rafinha is actually going to leave or not it's um seems to be personal terms they're struggling with Leeds have accepted a bid from Chelsea for 60 million he's agreed personal terms with Barcelona <laughs> okay but Barcelona have not agreed um the fee with Leeds Barcelona don't want to pay what Leeds are after Leeds have accepted this 60 million bid which is what Leeds were happy with um from Chelsea so Leeds have said fine to Chelsea, but Rafinha saying no, but I want to play for Barcelona. And Barcelona saying, well, we ain't got the cash. And Leeds are saying, well, you're not having him then. So there's talk now of um, Rafinha like winding his his contract down until um, they can actually afford him, and um, that might be uh, <laughs> the January transfer window. Absolute chaos. Who knows? The drama of the transfer window, eh? Don't you just love it? And talking of drama, there's always a story following Cristiano Ronaldo around. Talking of Chelsea, Ronaldo could be. On on his way to Stamford Bridge, if you believe the latest newspaper reports. We'll get stuck into that one next after this on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. This is FSD. Welcome back to the show. I'm Niall. Joel and Ian are alongside me and we mentioned it on Monday. Rumours rampant over the weekend that Cristiano Ronaldo could be leaving Manchester United this summer. The reports suggested that if an appropriate bid came in for Cristiano Ronaldo, he could well leave the club. Whatever that means, whatever United deem an appropriate bid, I have no idea. But the future of Ronaldo at Old Trafford is still up in the air. Whatever the case... Joel, United are going to want it sorted sooner rather than later because as long as this storm continues to rumble on, it's going to disrupt. Whether it's intentional or not, people are going to be talking about that more than the actual task at hand, aren't they? Yeah, it's it's a totally unnecessary distraction, especially for Ten Hag coming into a massive job already. And then he's got probably the biggest superstar on the planet not turning up to training. I don't, honestly, at first when it, it was stated as family reasons, I think everyone was like, okay, that's fine. But after he's been pictured, you know, still training at the Portuguese national team's training camp, and then you have all these rumours of him wanting to leave. I mean, you you can put two and two together to realise he's probably trying to force a move here. It's going to be the third day that he's not returned to training now. And it just feels to me as that, it, it, honestly, in my opinion, I think you need to just cut the snake at the head. I'm not saying he's been a disruptor. I mean, he's probably been very good for the mentality of the club. But when you've got something like that that's weighing over the club prior to a new season, which is on the back of one of the worst seasons the club's ever had, I think it needs to be dealt with quite quickly. And I know it'll be difficult for United because it probably wasn't even in the plans when the season ended. I know Ten Hag even taught pretty glowingly about Ronaldo in his first press conference where he was really excited to work with him and that's why it's been quite confusing for me because there's been quite conflicting reports that the reason is that there's no Champions League football but surely he would have communicated that to United had once the season had finished it kind of seems quite logical but then on the flip side 
There's also reports that it's due to United's lack of ambition in the transfer window where he's looked at where the club is. Six players have left, only one's come in and he's thought, well, we're not going to compete, so it's time for me to go to a club who's actually a little bit serious next season. And to be honest, I share the same thought on the second point. Um, I can imagine at the end of last season, he was thinking, okay, it's been one of the worst seasons. I've scored some of the best goals in my career, considering he's 37 now. And he's probably thinking, we need to push on in terms of signings and transfers. And he saw one guy come in and he saw Pogba, Cavani, Matic all leave, who are pretty big players in the squad. I mean, I, I don't blame him for wanting to leave, but then I think it just shows. When he came back last year, it was purely on the basis of himself and his brand. It wasn't a case of a club. He's Ronaldo full stop. That's his brand. Any club just helps him get to where he wants to go to, which is individual status, um, obviously team success instead of the Champions Leagues, but he's obsessed, obsessed, obsessed with the individual status. Um, and that's why he was probably willing to go to City last year because it would have been a great se stepping stone to potentially get a Ballon d'Or or another Premier League or another Champions League. And now he'll be looking for next season to think which club could get me closer to potentially a Ballon d'Or or a trophy because he's not he realises he's not got long left now, maybe three more years at the top and he doesn't want to waste another minute at a club who's not serious. So I think that's the reason why, to be honest. I know what you're saying, but football is a team sport at the end of the day and I think it's easy to forget that when we talk about individuals as good as Cristiano Ronaldo and we spoke about this on Monday's podcast aside from when he was at Sporting when he was 17 and played in the UEFA Cup Ronaldo has only exclusively played in Champions League competition this season United have qualified for the Europa League Cristiano Ronaldo has never played in the Europa League and I think that there's an ego thing there in which he, he doesn't want that and no, not to disrespect the Europa League, I actually think it's quite a good competition, but I don't think he wants that blemish on his record of being in the second tier of European competition. I think that there's an element of that. And, you know, some reports say that, you know, he's kind of obliged to go on this United preseason tour. You talk about the commercial aspect and the brand Ronaldo. That will be huge for Manchester United when it comes to their, their preseason plans and preparations. But... That future is still up in the air, very much so at this point in time as we speak here on Wednesday morning. But one destination that are rumoured, um, that is rumoured that Cristiano Ronaldo could possibly pitch up at is Chelsea, Ian. Is that something you can see happening? They've got a new American owner at Chelsea. They've certainly not been shy in making clear who their targets are. They're trying to sign Raheem Sterling. They're trying to sign Rafinha, as you've already mentioned. Could Cristiano Ronaldo end up at Stamford Bridge? Is that something you can envision? <laughs> I can certainly envision it. There's certainly a club that's got the money to make it happen, of course. But do you know what? If I was Thomas Tuchel, I would say no. And I said this a year ago, that this whole Cristiano Ronaldo going to Man United thing would end in tears and it wouldn't bring them a great deal. You know, they were thinking that a year ago, you listen back to the previous episodes, wade through all 365 of them and you will find, um, I was talking about this, that you know, Cristiano Ronaldo gets signed... Um, and, and therefore that's all Man United's problem solved. And I said, it's not the problem solved because they've got so many egos in one room and you probably need a team manager just to manage Ronaldo, just to manage all the crap that comes with it, all the media attention, the show pony, the sideshow, everything else that goes with it. And that's exactly what's happened. There's, there's so much other stuff that comes with Ronaldo 
other than the football. He plays football, but then the other six days a week, he's, he's, he's on the back pages, front pages, glossy mags for everything else that goes with him. It's just too much crap that comes as part of the baggage that is Cristiano Ronaldo. Do you want that in your team? I would say no. Absolute pain in the backside. It's, it Do you must think be. that's accelerated by the fact that he's played in England before, he's yeah. playing for Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs, and I know Juventus and Real Madrid, the other teams he's played for, have also been sort of super clubs, for want of a better expression. But the media circus that follows those clubs around isn't quite as intense as what you see in the British press. We know what our media scene is like. You've got the back pages of the sports um, the sports pages on the back of the newspapers, but you've also got, as you mentioned, the gossip magazines, the online articles, everyone, you know, paparazzi, all of that sort of thing. I'm sure that happens in Italy and Spain, but in the UK, it just seems yeah. to be so much more intense. It's a British press thing. And, you know, it, it comes from success. It comes from his previous time over here. The papers know that when they put Cristiano Ronaldo on a back page or even a front page, it sells stories. Of course, there was various other stories that were bubbling on in the background when he signed, which have now been dealt with in the in the courts or wherever it was in America that was bubbling on on the back burner. And that's sort of come to nothing as, as far as the, the, the headlines are concerned and everybody moves on from that one. But I just think it's just too much hassle. It, and, and you get these stories and his agent, obviously these stories get leaked by somebody, but there's all these stories that he's not happy you know, these find their way into the press by somebody putting them there. They don't, they're not just sort of hearsay. They're, you know, you know how it works. Agent picks up phone to reporter, reporter puts it in paper, sources say, and, um, and, and, and there you have it. And it's happening right now that he's in a sulk somewhere on a training ground. He's not returning until he gets his own way. And this is it. You end up running the football club around him. That's that's exactly what's happened at Manchester United. Everybody has to fit in around Cristiano Ronaldo because he's here now and I need to play a certain amount of games because I've got a deal that says I'm going to be on the pitch a certain amount of times to, to flog my shirts or whatever it is. And it, it restricts the manager. It, you know, if he's having an absolute nightmare, you're under pressure, why isn't Cristiano Ronaldo playing? Because he's crap at the moment. That's why he doesn't deserve to be in the side. But no manager will ever say that. They'll stick him out there to, to shut the press up and and then it's it's the manager that that comes under pressure for not playing him, isn't it? It just becomes a big flipping an albatross around your neck. Uh, that that you've got to look after him and and how he's performing and how he's fitting into the team. I just think it's too much. It, it's not a as you say, it's a team sport. And when you've got Cristiano Ronaldo in your side, it's not a team sport anymore. It's a sport about Cristiano Ronaldo, and everybody's got to fit in around his sideshow. What's interesting is the fact he's linked with Chelsea. And Thomas Tuchel is a former PSG manager, and we'll talk about PSG actually shortly because Pochettino has just left the club this week. Tuchel left PSG, Jill, because, well, the reports claimed that it was difficult to deal with all of the egos at that football club. There are many top, top players, you know, you're talking Neymar uh, and the like, who kind of run things over there at PSG. And, and Tuchel, I'm not sure he wasn't able to deal with it. I'm not sure that's the right, you know, the accurate description of why he left but there was certainly something to do with the fact that there was a lot of egos at play and and it was difficult to kind of manage with that in mind then do you think Tuchel would want a character like Cristiano Ronaldo in his side if he did turn up at Chelsea well I mean look what it won PSG having all those Galacticos in the side they've not touched the Champions League once and they probably got the highest wage bill in Europe 
They've got the biggest superstars on the planet all in one team. You know, Ramos, Neymar, Mbappe, Messi. And he's won them. It's not won them anything. They've not come. Well, they got to the final, but Bayern were way better than, than them in the final. So I think for Thomas Tuchel, I'm sure Todd Bowley's looking at it from a very black and white perspective, which is I want Cristiano Ronaldo to be the face of my revolution at Chelsea. But on the football inside, I just don't think it'll work for Chelsea at all, to be honest. We've seen it with Romelu Lukaku, you know, they paid massive amounts of money. He didn't fit the style or the system whatsoever. I don't know if even Thomas Tuchel signed that one off. It feel it felt like it was from above and then he was forced to kind of take what he was given. I feel like with Ronaldo, as Ian rightly says, when you have a player of that stature who sometimes feel like feels like he's bigger than football itself, it it always goes down to one thing, which is keeping him happy. And anytime there's a little bit of drama, it's heightened times 100 because of his brand, because he has his own following. He probably has a following bigger than some football clubs. He's got, what, 470 million Instagram followers, and he's the biggest, he's probably the biggest, most famous person on the planet, you would say, just because of how big of a brand and how great of a sportsman he is. The only issue is that he's not, he's no longer in his prime. So he doesn't really have a massive amount of leverage anymore. I could understand if he was, let's say, 27, 28, even 31, to be fair, he was that much that good in his 30s. But if he was still in his prime, he would have an argument because he he was the, the guy at Real Madrid. I think that's the reason why it worked there, was because everyone in the club and everyone in the team accepted that this guy will win us titles and he'll take us to the new heights. Now it's different. He's not the guy who's going to do that anymore, unfortunately, because he's 37 now and he's not producing the same numbers as he used to. Um, and I think that might be difficult. I think that's a difficult concept for him to accept now. The fact that his age is catching up with him a little bit. Of course, he's still producing really good numbers, probably some of the best that some of the players in their prime can't produce. But he's not the guy who's going to take you to those titles anymore. And it's like, well, how do you deal with that then? Are you gonna is Thomas Tuchel gonna be willing to bench someone like that when he's not scored for four or five games in a row or he's not suiting the system? And then how's that how's the fallout gonna be in the squad? Um, is he gonna sulk to George Mendes and then he starts getting linked to elsewhere? You know, it becomes really, really messy when you have a player of that magnitude, and I think you've got to be really careful for the squad harmony. I mean, he probably does amazing things in terms of his mentality. I'm not having him being scapegoated about being toxic because I'm sorry, but he's probably one of the most mentality monster players I've ever seen. He rises he raises every club, but on the flip side, you know, you've got to keep your harmony intact and I'd be surprised. I think it's going to be a big battle between Bowley and Tuchel in terms of what they think is best for the club and what they think is best for the football team. And I think that's interesting as well. I mean, you've got a new owner coming in who seems to have got rid of everyone in the back room at Chelsea and just taken control of everything himself. And uh, I don't know whether Chelsea fans are excited or kind of scared or fearful of this approach you know Bowley's come in and, and said right we're signing Sterling we're signing Rafinha we want this we want Ronaldo we want Delict. all these players um, if you start undermining the manager then you, you, you can find yourself in some serious trouble pretty quickly I think what is worth saying here if we take the whole other side of Ronaldo out of this and just think of this purely from a footballing perspective Joel could there be value for Manchester United in a swap deal Let's say Chelsea pay United a fee, but United say, right, you're signing one of our better players. We want one of yours. Maybe Timo Werner or Hakim Ziyech, someone could go the other way to Manchester United. Would you welcome that rather than just a, a straight sale? 
Well, you know, one player I really like is uh, Armando Broja. I think he's, I really liked him at Southampton. And I think United could do worse than maybe saying, okay, we'll take him on loan with an option to buy if Ronaldo goes in the opposite way, just because I'm absolutely not convinced by Timo Werner, Zayec, any of them. I think the closest guy we could probably get is Kante. And I think injuries are really catching up with him at the moment. And he's probably on the decline a little bit. But I do really like Broha. The only issue, and I think United have acknowledged it, is they don't want to be selling to a, a direct rival who's going to be a rival for top four. Because if, let's say, Ronaldo probably will score over 10 goals in the Premier League if he goes there. If those 10 goals contribute to them finishing higher than United, then it's a disaster and probably one of the worst moves United could make. But then on the flip side, you have to balance the harmony of the squad and you don't want to disrupt everyone and you don't want to disrupt Ten Hag's plans. You don't want a player who doesn't want to be there. So it's a really difficult catch-22 moment, isn't it? Where do you do better for the club or you do better for the for the future plans? And I just think if we could get someone like that in return, who is only 20, potentially could become a really good player potentially not I don't know he's still really young I think that'll be quite shrewd to be honest and I think we should definitely get something in return but I don't know it's hard to gauge how much it would even cost I mean what do you pay for a 37 year old Ronaldo he's yeah. not the average guy he's got a year left on his deal. Got, yeah he's got mm. a year left so I don't know maybe like 15 million is probably something that's quite I think did United um, pay 17 agreeable. for him from Juventus so it wasn't yeah. it wasn't particularly expensive it wasn't cheap well, um, yeah, it wasn't expensive. It wasn't cheap as well for a player of his age, no, especially no, no. if you're going to get one year out of him, and he's going to pay what four hundred thousand pounds a week, which I think is the biggest, the biggest part. But I think that's the nice part I see with Ericsson. It's a very different approach, which is a guy who just loves his football, not egocentric, adds to the team. And I think he, I think Anders Lindegaard, the old Manchester United keeper, just did a really good interview recently where he said, you know, United have been going for egos and all these Galacticos under Ed Woodward. And then they get Ericsson, who's just a pure football guy, probably one of the most light guys in football at the moment. I think it's a really nice contrast and that's the way we need to go, I think. And if I'm honest, it'd probably be best for all parties if they move him on for the future of the club, to be honest. Okay, well, talking about moving on, Maurizio Pochettino has left the Liga Club PSG. He was the manager of that Galactico team, as Joel mentioned, with names like Messi and Neymar and Mbappe all in the squad. He won the French League with them, but he couldn't win the Champions League. And let's be honest, that's all PSG ever want, is to win the Champions League. They haven't managed to do so yet. Pochettino's on his way. He's already been replaced. But could we see him back on English shores very soon? We'll discuss that after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Pochettino has left PSG. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to discuss that now as a Premier League return may well be on the cards in the future. What do you think, Ian? Pochettino, we know, is a very good manager. It, I wouldn't say it worked out at PSG because in order for it to work out, you have to win the Champions League. But yet we've seen managers like Tuchel and, and, and Ancelotti have been in there and not won the Champions League. So I'm not sure it's the, the greatest litmus test of all. But he, he's a good manager and it wouldn't be a shock to see him back in the Premier League in the future, would it? No, I, 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 now that he's free from uh, from PSG, I can see that it won't probably be long before he, he rocks up on these shores. He is a manager that has 
stated numerous times his <clears throat> excuse me his love for the Premier League, his his love for this country. Um, he would very much, I think, uh, I'm sure, be high up on the list of candidates for a team that does inevitably decide to change manager. And I don't think we'll be far down that road, as we know. Um, there's always the sack race, isn't there? A few of them are going to fall by the wayside through the course of the season once things get going uh, at the end of this month, start of uh, of August. And it's just where he's likely to pitch up because, obviously, at this point in time, nobody's really uh, going to be struggling for their job. Um, looking at the various... Um, possible places he might land. Uh, you would have to say somewhere like Everton might be f- a fair way up the uh, up, up the list, considering the troubles that they got themselves into last season. And will they be down the bottom end, or will they have improved under Frank Lampard over the course of the the close season? We'll have to wait and see. Um, Tottenham, of course, <laughs> not a vacancy there at the moment, but we know Antonio Conte can can disappear in the in the blink of an eye. Somewhere like Newcastle, even who. Obviously, Eddie Howe has done all right so far. Um, if that doesn't continue to be the case as we head into this season, for whatever reason, Newcastle have got a fairly tricky start as well. Um, then, you know, they might be looking to bring in a, a name as such and maybe Pochettino might be in their eye. And, of course, they've got the funds to be able to afford uh, the kind of terms he's been used to uh, in in Paris up until now. Um, maybe he's just going to have a break, you know, a bit of time off. It's rare for managers to get any time off, isn't it? So maybe he'll enjoy a bit of a holiday and and just wait and see what comes up. Um, but he's he's a manager that um, has, yes, he, he you know he hasn't necessarily won everything there is to win in in football by any stretch of the imagination. But he's in that bracket now of having had the experience at these big clubs. You know, he's managed Tottenham, uh, managed PSG, a lot of experience there, and that. You know, regardless of what he may or may not have won, that puts you in a in a different bracket and in a different sort of place as to where your your next job might go. And uh, I fancy it will be a you know a, a well known name. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, it's hard, as you mentioned, to see him turning up in the Premier League at one of those big clubs. Because if we run through the list, like Ian's just mm. done, Joel, you see Spurs have got Conte. And they've decided to invest in players. And it looks like actually, as we're recording this podcast, they might well be signing Jed Spence from Middlesbrough. I'm sure we'll have more on that on Friday's podcast. (laughs) Good luck with that one. Yeah, well, exactly. They've signed a a few players already this window. Manchester United have just employed Tenag. And that's the the club that he was linked with the the heaviest. Maurizio Pochettino was Manchester United. Arsenal's Arteta has just signed a new contract. Klopp isn't going anywhere. Pep Guardiola isn't going anywhere. Um, you look at some of the other clubs, you think, really, is he is he above that with no disrespect to them? So in terms of could he return to the Premier League in the future? I think the answer we all agree is probably yes, Joel. But at the moment, there's nowhere for him to go. I think the most likely one would be Spurs again, just because Conte is not really a guy who hangs around. And we've seen it at Chelsea as well, mid-season things can just collapse within an instant where he has a bust up with a player or he has a bust up with the board and suddenly the club's gone from hero to zero and he's on a plane back to Italy sunbathing again. So it's going to be an interesting one. I think the I think the difference is that Spurs are probably the strongest club to challenge um, Liverpool and City next season, I would say, just based on how the quality of their squad is. I think they're the closest. So I don't think he's going to be going anytime soon. Um, I do think Newcastle's quite an interesting proposition, actually, because when you look at the way in which his Spurs side were 
it was set and and his Southampton side actually it was set up perfectly for the kind of coach he is, which is he had time to develop young players. He had a little bit of a transfer budget, but he was able to give the space and freedom to work. Then when he went to Paris Saint-Germain, I raised my eyebrows so much when he went there because it just was the polar opposite of what he is. Having to manage all these huge egos and couldn't really bring his style of play into the team because basically they chose it for him in terms of the plays they have. It was just a, it was a recipe for disaster, that move. Um, I feel like at Paris Saint-Germain, you need a manager who is bigger than the players and commands respect. And when you've got Pochettino who'd won nothing and you have the likes of Lionel Messi and Neymar who are bigger than him in terms of trophies, I just don't think he can command that respect. You need someone like Zidane or Ancelotti who've done a lot in the game, I think. So I think for Pochettino to go to someone like Newcastle who have a ridiculous budget and he'll have time and space to work with, you know, some of the younger players and, you know, there's not going to be a, a, a player who's bigger than him there. I think it could be the perfect fit. Obviously, I don't want to tempt fate. I know Eddie Howe's probably going to have a few, a year or so to still try and make something of that side. But I wouldn't discount something like that, to be honest, because he, he could create a nice little revolution there. But I do think Spurs and Newcastle are the most likely. And then an outsider would be... Manchester City if Pep Guardiola decides to turn it in but I just don't see that happening anytime soon I think him and Klopp are just going to go toe to toe until one of them blinks and <laughs> says okay I'm done I'm getting out of the I'm getting out of the kitchen now and then the other one will probably follow along and kind of pass on the torch to the next guys do you think that that's going to happen in terms of Pep and Klopp are just kind of waiting for one of the others to fold so that they know they can swoop in there. Because yeah. I think Klopp knows if, if Pep Guardiola leaves City, they'll still be a title challenger, but his chances of winning the Premier League are increased significantly if Pep Guardiola departs. Yeah, I mean, I think Klopp's probably most likely to stay on if Pep leaves, like you say, just because I think he'll just have a greater chance of going for the Premier League because Guardiola's literally being the guy and the team that has stood in his way to probably... I mean, without Guardiola, they would have taken probably majority of the Premier Leagues in the last five, six years. So I'm sure he's waiting on it. But I think Guardiola is probably the most likely to depart next um, out of the two of them. I don't think he's signed a new contract yet, has he? I think it runs until 2024. Um, but the only difference is that Guardiola is so settled. And the reason is because he's got people that he trusts there. You know, he's got Tiki who used to... Um, be with him at Barcelona, Soriano used to be with him at Barcelona, so he's very, very comfortable there, he's got everything that works for him, um, so I'd be surprised if he goes anytime soon, but I do, th- I, I personally think it's going to be a case of who blinks first um, will go, but it, hopefully they both go soon, because I'm absolutely uh-huh. sick of it. <laughs> the the bookies' favourite of, of the top four, if you like, uh, the bookies' favourite out of those to go first is Thomas Tuchel. By quite right. a long way. Actually. I suppose I that's be because there's a new ownership. The new ownership yeah. mm, mm, you think yeah. so? Especially with all this, like what we were saying earlier, with Todd Bowley seemed to be going all guns ablazing in the transfer market. Is there any liaison with Thomas Tuchel? You'd imagine there would be, but you never know with someone who hasn't really been involved in, in European football before. But that's uh, probably a conversation for another day. As for today's podcast, we've reached the end of the show. So thanks very much, Ian. And thank you very much, Joel. You can go and enjoy the cloudy summer conditions of the UK in July. And um, that'll be it from us until Friday, where we'll be back with another episode of the show. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss one. Until the season starts, we're down to three shows a week on a Monday, a Wednesday and a Friday, largely 
predominantly focusing on the transfer news in and around the Premier League. And then when it comes to early August, the 6th of August, so what's that, a month from today... We'll be back to the start of the new Premier League season, which means we'll be back to seven days a week. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss it. But from myself, Ian and Joel, that is it. And we'll speak to you in a couple of days. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.